I love the imagery of that song that talks about this tapestry of grace. And we always say hindsight's better than foresight in that when we go through something and we look back, we see the handprint of God all over it. And yet when living through the midst of it, it's at times hard to see that, isn't it? This morning, you can take your Bibles to turn to Genesis 45. For those that are visiting, we've been navigating the story of Joseph the past few weeks. And I want to skip to the end this morning. We're going to back up next week and, and take another look at some things. But I want to talk about integrity and wisdom. Now, we've been looking at the whole issue of integrity and what it means to live an integrated life in Christ in the midst of injustice. We saw how people can take our reputations, but they cannot take our integrity. And just before we get into our content this morning, why don't we just ask God to bless our time together. Will you pray with me? Father, it's a privilege to be here. We thank you that we can gather together. We thank you for your spirit who will teach us this morning. May we take these truths. May we apply it to our lives. May you make us sensitive. May we have ears that are willing to hear what your spirit says. We do think of uh, how privileged we are here today. Not like our brothers and sisters in certain portions of Texas this morning. We pray for those that are experiencing floods at this moment, whose houses, whose churches, who they can't even make it to their building this morning. May they find places to gather. May they find places to worship and realize that in spite of their circumstances, You still are a holy, holy God. And you are watching over them. Watch over us this morning, Lord. Reveal to our souls what we need to hear. In your name we pray. And everyone said, amen. You know, last week I I talked about a little bit about what saddens me in what's happening in our culture. And, you know, often I see people in the name of justice commit injustice. But we have to remember that our sadness does not paralyze us. David Snarnoff says this, let us not paralyze our capacity for good by brooding over man's capacity for evil. And while that all saddens me, I've grown to expect that this is what happens in a sinful world. But what saddens me even more is Christians in their response to all this. Far too many Christians today get lost in the political rhetoric instead of living out Christ on a daily basis. Annie Dillard says this, and listen to this quote. I ran across it, so it's not on the PowerPoint slides. She says, why do people in churches seem like cheerful, brainless tourists on a package tour of the absolute?" I read that and I said, wow, we act like tourists and there's God and we say, wow, but there's no integration. There's no integrity brought into our lives on a day-to-day basis. And as I've been saying through this series, as we look at Joseph, while injustice is with us, it does not define us, nor does it force us to make unwise choices. Now, like most things, last week after I preached on Injustice, very next day, there's a series of injustices that came across my 
uh, life experience. Not to me personally, but people sharing. Some had to do with work. Some had to do with family. I got a report out of Zimbabwe, which I know a lot of people there. And President Mugabe, who took one of the most prosperous countries in Africa, it was Rhodesia, and he transformed it into one of the poorest. He made a new announcement this past week. You see, he's still blaming and when you look at Zimbabwe, you have the Shona, you have the Insabeli, they're two tribes. Then you have what they call the white South Africans. So there's really kind of three tribal groups. But he is blaming the white farmer for their demise. Now, it's not his demise because he has hundreds of millions of dollars in bank accounts in other countries. But up to this point, the law has been this, that he and his tribe, Shona, could walk into any business, if you owned a business and you had to be white South African, actually if you were shown, if you were into Bailey and owned a business, he could walk into your business and he could take it over as his own. And you just had to leave. That was the law up to this point. But that has not been enough. This past week, he declared that, okay, so one of my tribe goes in and decides they want a farm or a business. And if they happen to kill the white farmer and business owner, that's okay. They no longer will be prosecuted. That's a new law he instituted this past week. I said to myself, wow, think about the injustice of that. I think we have two problems. One is that we're intellectually lazy. We do not do the hard work of investigating all sides. We just collect things that agree with us and our position. We Google it. And somehow we think we are really smart because we can find a story that agrees with our ideology. You realize Google lets all kind of crazies in, right? <laughs> and the problem with our social media today is that the extremists have full access and they make it sound like they're the norm. Some people work really hard on the internet and Facebook, but they don't work intellectually harm, hard. They don't know how to think. They don't know how to process. So opinions and emotions rule, and we state them as facts. We use the social media to spread them as facts, and we're kind of back into George Orwell's 1984. In his book, he talked about groupthink, where each side accuses the other side, and they cannot see their own hypocrisy in the process, and they filter opinions through their biases, and they choose their version of truth. So I think we're just intellectually lazy. I don't believe we know how to critically think anymore. Secondly, as followers of Christ, we are faith lazy. I realize that's probably kind of a bad way to put two words together, but I didn't know how else to do it. We don't take the time and the hard work of our faith. We don't come together in community, in unity, in a love that's so radical it causes people to identify us with Jesus. Instead, we focus on issues that should never divide us. And we set aside the very things that bring us together. And so we don't talk about diversity in relationships anymore. And I sense today there's a need, a critical need for wisdom. And of course, Proverbs says that the fear of God is the beginning of wisdom. And when you use the word fear there, we're talking about words like honor, respect, understanding. And when I'm thinking about wisdom, I realized this past week that wisdom is one of those qualities difficult to define because it encompasses so much. 
Yes, it is in the realm of decision making. We want to make wise decisions. But it also involves the integration of knowledge, experience, and deep understanding. Wisdom, there's an understanding or at least an awareness of how things play out over time. We just don't look past. We just don't look present. We just don't look future. But we incorporate all aspects and we get an entire picture together. It's like the tapestry of grace that was just sung about. There's so many threads. There's so many venues. Contrast that with knowledge. Knowledge is just a set of learning facts and information. And one may or may not apply them to their life. But they know the facts. Now this is really nothing new. It's really part of the original sin. Adam and Eve created in a perfect environment came along and asked the question. At least they listened to the question. Did God really say? Of course the lie was that God was holding back. And when you read the text. It says Eve saw the fruit was good for food pleasing to the eye, and also desirable for gaining wisdom. The problem is that we, like Adam and Eve, live as if we know more than God. Now, Paul, when he talks to a young pastor, his name was Timothy, gives this warning. I'm going to read it from the message. The message is a paraphrase. It's not a translation, but listen to how this is put together. Paul says to Timothy, you're going to find that there will be times when people will have no stomach for solid teaching, but will fill up on spiritual junk food, catchy opinions that tickle their fancy. They'll turn their backs on truth and chase mirages. But you keep your eye on what you're doing, accept the hard times along with the good. Keep the message alive. Do a thorough job as God's servants. So let's review the facts as we know them about Joseph. We know, first of all, his position in the family came by virtue of Reuben's sin and his birth order. We know that his brothers allowed envy and anger to control them. They plotted to kill him, but sold him as a slave instead, and they lied to their father. We know that Joseph was bought as a slave by Potiphar and quickly he rose to the head of the household, the head of the slaves. But Potiphar's wife tried to seduce him and when that didn't work in her vindictiveness, she lies and gets Joseph thrown in prison. In prison, he's a model prisoner through a set of really odd circumstances, gets out, rises up to second in command over all of Egypt And when you start totaling these years, you realize that for 13 years of his life, he was living with the injustice of being sold and being a slave at the hands of other people. 13 years. But now, he has the power, he has the position, and he has the money to take revenge on everyone and anyone. And Joseph's brothers show up due to the famine And they are at the mercy of Joseph. How does wisdom come into play? Let's pick the story up there. Genesis 45 verses 1 through 8. Then Joseph could not control himself before all those who stood by him. And he's talking about his family. And he cried, make everyone get out of me. 
Get out from me. So no one stayed with him when Joseph made himself known to his brothers and he wept aloud so that the Egyptians heard it and the household of Pharaoh heard it. So here's the situation. He finally reveals himself to his brothers. You can imagine what they're thinking. In verse three, and Joseph said to his brothers, I'm Joseph. Is my father still alive? But his brothers could not answer him for they were dismayed at his presence. I think they were a bit nervous. And they should have been. They're trying to figure out, is this really Joseph? If not, how does he know about Joseph? We are in deep trouble either way. So Joseph said to his brothers, come near to me, please. And they came near. And he said to them, I'm your brother Joseph, whom you sold into Egypt. What an opening line. (laughs) Now, do not be distressed or angry with yourselves because you sold me here. And note the next phrase. For God sent me before you to preserve life. Somewhere in the line when Joseph was weaving this tapestry of his life and he looked at all his injustice and he looked at everything that was going on, he realized that God's hand was in all this. For the famine had been in the land. Remember the dreams he had that his brothers and his father scoffed at? For the famine has been in the land these two years, and there are yet five years in which there will be neither plowing nor harvest. And he says it again, and God sent me before you to preserve for you a remnant on earth and to keep you alive for you many survivors. And it was not you who sent me here, but God. He has made me a father to Pharaoh and Lord of all his house and a ruler over all the land of Egypt. Big picture. Now, he not only looked at his own family and immediate life, he was going way back. And here's the first lesson I want us to look at this morning. God is faithful even when we are not. God is faithful even when we are not. This whole story that's left here gave us enough details to realize that God was making sure Israel survives and thrives as a nation as he promised. The passage back in Genesis 12, verses 1 through 4, you can imagine was in his mind. It was the covenant that God made with Abram. He says, go from your country, your kindred, your father's house to a land I will show you. And I will make you a great nation. I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you. And him who dishonors you, I will curse. And in you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. Of course, that's a referral to the coming of Christ. So Abram went as the Lord told him. Key phrase. Abram went as the Lord had told him. Now, when you start at Genesis 12 and you read right through to Genesis, we're in chapter 47 now, you realize that it's a story full of lies, betrayal, broken promises, sin. But what you see time and time again is that God made a covenant which he is and will be faithful to. So God is faithful even when we are not. Second lesson about God. God uses the fallen condition of people to bring about his plan. Now this is a nice way of saying that God is not hindered by our sin or our injustice to one another. You notice in this story, we never read where God throws his hands up and says, Oh no, what am I going to do now? They sold Joseph. That wasn't the plan. 
You never see God frustrated. Now, I shouldn't say he's not frustrated. Yeah, I think he gets frustrated with our sin because he sees the potential. He sees the amount of good that we can do. He sees the amount of hope that we can bring. And when we allow sin to enter our lives and destroy that, and we become something less what he's designed, I think that frustrates him, but it never stops him. His plan is being woven throughout our history. In 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 1 through 5, now he's talking to us, the church. In verse 1, he says this, Therefore, having this ministry by the mercy of God. Okay, did you catch that? The church that we have, this ministry we have, the gospel that we present is given to us by the mercy of God. It's not something we earned. It's not something that we somehow control. It's not something that we built. It is by the mercy of God. We are like Joseph. God sends us. We're like Abram. We go, even though the details aren't there. But he says this, we do not lose heart. See, that's our tenacity, isn't it? We look at the big plan. We see how God weaves this tapestry of grace through. We see the power of Christ. We look at everything in a large picture. And we do not lose heart. In verse 2, but we renounced disgraceful, underhanded ways. See, this is our part. This is what we do. We refuse to practice cunning or to tamper with God's word. But by the open statement of the truth, we commend ourselves to everyone's conscience in the sight of God. So see, our part is that we make sure that we don't do underhanded, disgraceful, secretive. We don't change God's word. We're not part of that movement that says that theology is progressive, that if God were here today, he would be saying this instead of that. So this is our part. But here's our understanding then in verse 3. Even if our gospel is veiled... It's veiled to those who are perishing. I mean, we get it that out there in the world that people don't get who Christ is. They don't get his plan. They don't get the gospel. We see that. And yes, it sands us. And yes, it hurts us because we see them destroying themselves. But we understand the darkness. And the truth is that they're being blinded. In their case, the God of this world has blinded them, the minds of the unbelievers, to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who's the image of God. But then he goes on to talk about our mission. We proclaim, for what we proclaim is not ourselves. It's not about us. But Jesus Christ as Lord, with ourselves as your servants for Jesus' sake. And when you look at Joseph and you realize those 13 years of injustice he suffered, he realized it wasn't about him. It was about the covenant that God made with Israel and that he brought him to this place for that very reason. It wasn't about Joseph. It was about God's witness. Now I want you to look at this scripture and I'm going to read it from a paraphrase. It kind of brings some aspects down to real life. But just listen to this paraphrase. Since God has so generously let us in on what he is doing. We're not about to throw up our hands and walk off the job just because we run into occasional hard times. We refuse to wear masks, play games. We don't maneuver or manipulate behind scenes. 
We don't twist God's word to suit ourselves. Rather, we keep everything we do and say it in the open. The whole truth is on display so that those who want can see and judge for themselves in the presence of God. If our message is obscure to anyone, it's not because we're holding back in any way. No, it's because these other people are looking or going the wrong way and refuse to give it serious attention. Oh, they have eyes for what is fashionable, God of darkness. They think he can give them what they want and that they won't have to bother believing a truth they can't see. They are stone blind to the day spring brightness of the message that shines with Christ who gives us the best picture of God we'll ever get. Remember, our message is not about ourselves. Our proclaiming Christ Jesus, the master, we are all messengers, errand runners from Jesus to you. Now, one of the verses I constantly keep before me is found just a few verses later in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 7. It says, we have this treasure in jars of clay. And when you look at the original language, the the word jars of clay is about an imperfect jar of clay. It's cracked. So you get it? We're all crackpots. That gets an amen, doesn't it? And why are we cracked and why do we have Christ inside of us? To show the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. See, what's inside of us is what shines out through the cracks. I love that verse. But those are two lessons we learn about our, about our God. What about us? What lessons can we learn about ourselves? The first is this. Inspect, expect injustice. Expect it from others. Expect it from us. You will be unjust to somebody. I guarantee it. We have sin in our world. There's evil in our world. It's, it's not, can I dare say, it's, it's not about being fair soon as we get caught up in fairness, I will guarantee you, you will commit injustice trying to be fair in a situation. Because as soon as you give rights to somebody else, you take away it from somebody else. Grace isn't fair. And yet God gives it to us. And see, this whole being followers of Jesus, this whole wisdom thing, isn't about trying to find fairness. It's about trying to display grace. You know, God is faithful and gives it to us even though we do not deserve it. While we were still sinners, Christ what? He died for us. Secondly, we must settle on our deepest convictions about our life. I guess the question I have for you this morning is what ideology are you buying into? Now, I know you might say, well, it's God's word, but that could be a cover. I mean, what's really in your mind and heart? What is driving you? What is your, your measuring dynamics? How do you look at life? Is it just this little small life, me, myself, and I? Is it broader, my own friends or my own church? Or do you look at totality picture of what God is doing here and around the world and other places? See, if it's about us, then it's going to be about our comfort and our likes and our dislikes. Our opinions will matter more than truth and we'll seek to impress people with our accomplishments and we will define ourselves by our jobs and our toys. If it's about following Christ, 
Then we're defined by his mission. His mission is twofold. It's, it's reconciliation and it's restoration. Another passage I love is found in Isaiah. I'm going to post it on the screen so you can just follow with me. And in this passage, Isaiah goes through a list of religious activities that God is saying, listen, you do this, you fast, you pray, you go to worship, but you know what? You lost your heart. It doesn't impress me. I don't hear anything. And then he goes on to say this. If you get your heart right, then shall your light break forth like a dawn. And your healing shall spring up speedily. Your righteousness will go before you. The glory of the Lord shall be your rear guard. Then you shall call and the Lord will answer. You shall cry and he will say, here am I. If you take away the yoke from your midst. So, you know, it's not everything out there that we always blame ourselves on. But it's our heart. And the yoke in our midst is the sin in our heart. It's the callousness. It's, the, it's really about us. And yes, we do all these religious activities and we don't do anything too bad. And then he gets specific. He said, the pointing of the finger and the speaking wickedness. You know, it's interesting that the pointing of the finger is what? It's blaming everybody else. The speaking wickedness is, is when we... I'm going to use the word disgrace. Not grace people, but we disgrace them in our conversation. It's how we talk about people. I guess a good old-fashioned word is gossip. Verse 10, if you pour yourself out for the hungry and satisfy the desire of the afflicted, then shall your light rise in the darkness and your gloom be as the new day. And I love this imagery here. And the Lord will guide you continually and satisfy your desire in scorched places. Scorched places are places that are burned. They are dry. They are desolate. They are no sign of life. And he says, when you go through those places, I will guide you. I will satisfy your hearts. I'll make your bones strong. And you shall be like a water garden, like a spring of water whose waters do not fail. Then here's the the verse that I just keep before me constantly. And your ancient ruins shall be rebuilt. You shall rise up the foundations of many generations. You shall be called the repairer of the breach, the restorer of streets to dwell in. I mean, that is my heart vision for GBC right there. It's what we talked about town hall meeting. Repairer of the breach, restorer of the streets to dwell in. Now, I have to confess this morning that for many years, I didn't keep reading that. I always stopped there saying, wow, I'm just going to park here for a moment because I love this. I'm going to dwell on this. But in the context of this, he addresses one more problem. It's kind of like saying this. If you want to be a repairer and a restorer, you have to honor God. You got to be wise. Because the beginning of wisdom is where we honor God. And he says this in verse 13. If you turn back your foot from the Sabbath. You know that one day? If you turn back from doing your pleasure on my holy day. It's how we kind of take off. And call the Sabbath a delight and a holy day of your Lord honorable. If you honor it, not going your own ways or seeking your own pleasure or talking idly. Then you shall delight in the Lord, and I will make you ride on the heights of the earth. 
I will feed you with the heritage of Jacob, your father, for the mouth of the Lord has spoken. He simply says this, listen, people, honor me. If you want to be wise, if you want to know how to live an integrated life, you got to walk. He said, I just asked for one day. Take that one day and honor me. Set aside and think about me. Talk to me. Don't spend it on yourselves. If you want to be a repairer and a restorer. Max Lucado says, when our deepest desire is not the things of God or a favor from God, but God himself, we cross over a threshold just to be in his presence. Not what he can give us, not all the stuff that we think he should give us, but just to be with him and see his majestic hand and this whole tapestry of grace being woven through our lives. And yet we know this. Paul says in Romans 1, for although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks. And they what? They became futile in their thinking. Foolish hearts were darkened. They claimed to be wise, but they became fools and exchanged the glory of immortal God for images resembling mortal man, birds, animals, and creeping things. Got a lot of people who think they're really wise and they're not. I have no idea where I got this quote. I got it from somewhere. It's not mine. At least I don't think it is. But I like it. It says, our greatest fear should not be of failure, but of succeeding at something that really doesn't matter. That's not being a repair and restorer of the walls, is it? Going to ask the worship team to come up. We're going to close with a song. The point this morning is this that injustice can make you a stronger follower of Jesus or it can dismantle your soul. It's your choice. But you're going to need wisdom. Wisdom comes from honoring God, it comes from being in the body life. You can allow your injustice to define you or you can let Christ define you. You can follow the design of God or you can take matters in your own hands and build a life that makes sense to you. And one last verse. Acts chapter 4, verse 13. I love this verse. Another one I keep with my cracked pot verse. (laughs) Acts 14, verse 13 says this. When they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were uneducated common men, they were astonished and they recognized that they had been with Jesus. Now, we get the word uneducated. Okay, they didn't go to the local seminary. The word common, we get our word idiot from. So... Here's my challenge you this morning. Can you be an idiot for Christ? That when you live Christ in such a way, people say, wow, you know? And, you know, some will be angry about it and some will be happy about it. Let's not be pretentious here thinking that everyone's going to say, wow, yeah, they like Jesus. I don't know if you heard the one news in the one state where the football coach got fired and the judge ruled saying he's not allowed to bring anything religious into a public setting. And they fired him because he knelt and prayed at the 50-yard line after a football game. It's been going on for a while. It just got ruled this past week. So not everyone's going to say, wow, but if you feel unqualified, unworthy, think about this first. They were common. To the world, they were idiots. But yet they recognize what? That they had been with Jesus. 
My prayer in my heart for GBC is that when people look at us, they say, you know, yeah, they're one of those Jesus lovers. I pray that's our accusation. Let's stand, and I pray this song will be a prayer for all of us that we choose to follow.